Hey. Hey. Oh, God. <laughs> Started to, I'm not even going to say, anyone who got know. that knows what we're talking about. Yeah, all right. We're not going to, all I'm going to say just quickly is that last night my seven-year-old daughter walked past me and said, uh-oh, you picked the wrong sucker to cuckold. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's not a real like normal seven-year-old thing, but like it was so great. Oh, you picked the wrong sucker to cuckold. <laughs> like, yes, I certainly did. All right. The, uh, the, uh, my favourite thing of, of uh, since we last met about Hamilton was somebody telling me that her husband or someone on Twitter I think told us that her husband <laughs> realised that um, Alexander in any song can easily be replaced by Adam Sandler <laughs> and so now every time she hears him mentioned in the song it's like, you know, I go to sleep at night dreaming of Adam Sandler's eyes. And yeah, that should kill it pretty dead. <laughs> yeah. um, all right, and that's it. There'd be no more no because more we've already had abs- a lovely, lovely talk about Hamilton. There's a whole that episode. We don't no need more. to talk about it anymore. The reason I groan theatrically because I see this like little, you get this sort of look on your face when there's something that you're about to just go on and on and brag about and it's this kind of like twinkly-eyed, and I know, you've interviewed Jotter Modelling. That's it, isn't it? Isn't it? How dare you? How dare you steal those words out of my mouth? You know, listeners, Mate, everybody saw. Before we rolled, I said to her, look, why don't you open this podcast Mm -hmm. by just going, how are you? And I can go, oh, I'm fine. I interviewed Jotter Modelling last night. Now look what you've done. Ruined it. That was my aim. You ruined it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I did. I interviewed. Uh... <laughs> it's like you've made a lovely cake and I've just gobbed on it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I and did. I'd I do it again. Yosham about his new book, Flavor. Um, Flavor. Which I've had a quick flick through, and so I'll just give you the quick load. I haven't cooked anything out of it yet. Um, it is a return to the Yotam of old, complicated. In process and ingredients and a lot of stuff that I do not want to be schlepping around Sydney having to look for. I can't wait. So, you know, it's your Urdu chilli and your blah, blah. Your Urdu chilli. Is that that actually a kind of chilli or just make that up? I think it is. Urdu? uh, Yeah, I think it is. I prefer the Pashtun (laughs) chilli. God, of course you do. Um, So, yeah, I I flipped through it and I thought "Mm, this is a bit too hard for me. I love it. A lot of char grilling. I always set my fire alarm off in my kitchen when I do that. I'm sorry. So char grilling is too complicated <laughs> for you. So just like applying heat to a vegetable just can't be bothered. Look, literally, Mate, if I don't, when you pe- don't deserve your term. You when, don't. In fact, you're not allowed to. You're not allowed. I'm coming to your house. I'm getting that book and I'm taking it away. Literally, when people come to my house and I have to char grill something, I make somebody stand with a tea towel near the smoke alarm, waving the tea towel over it. Okay, but that's, that's part of Australian off. culture. Like that's. <laughs> in fact, somebody should really make a, like a. You know how they um, in kind of the Rajas, Africa, uh, India, they had like punker fans, like where, you know, I mean, this is the the great colonial advantage of having people that you don't pay any money to working for you. Like they'd have someone there just pulling pulling a rope, operating a big palm fan. ABC just, Fat Cat yeah, calls for a return of, of colonial uh, fan um, operators in kitchen cabinet facility. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Nice yeah, one. That will actually nice happen. one. Nice one, Humpty. Um, I'm just trying to remember the word punker. They were called punker fans. Okay. You see, if we had, why, oh my God, how did I get here? Why am I talking about this? I don't know. Sometimes I really panic myself. I'm really ready for um, dementia, I think, sometimes. <laughs> don't even joke about that. I know, the, um, I know, but I, yeah. The, anyway, uh, all so I'm saying is, wouldn't it be good if there was a sort of like a specially built 
thing, not just a tea towel, but a proper broad, waving, wavable fan specifically designed to keep smoke away from fire alarms? Look, I've never thought about it before, but now that you raise it, I mean, yes. I mean, you've got nothing in principle <laughs> against it. Okay. Um, okay, the, let's uh, stop. Right. So, look, mm, I think if, yeah. you, if you liked Simple, which I really liked, his last cookbook, because mm-hmm. it was as advertised on the packaging, pretty damn simple, uh, you're probably going to find flavour not quite to your liking. It's back to the, you know, Yotam telling you this is how you got to do it. The bossy Yotam, that, yeah. you know. But, I, I uh, like bossy Yotam. Yeah, I, look, I like it. I like the precision and stuff too. And but also he's called it flavour so that you, when you're interviewing him, you can hear him say flavour, <laughs> flavour. Uh, I want him to make a book called Lemon. <laughs> I've bookmarked a couple of things to try this weekend. One's a watermelon and strawberry sorbet with a bit of grated lime rind involved. Doesn't sound that complicated, mate. No, that's easy. I picked right. out the easy ones. Right. Uh, and... A lime and coconut potato gratin, which sounds like Okay, weird. that sounds foul. Yeah, but it looks delicious. So, mm-hmm. and you know, I trust the man. He's sure. delivered plenty of good stuff. And look, before. he is the he is the absolute king of something that sounds gross but is delicious. Yeah, exactly. For instance, our mutual friend Clive advertised to me recently that he was making Yotam's recipe for prawn bolognese sauce for pasta. Oh. Right. I'm like, really? Does it have uh, mints in it as well or the prawns replace the mints? Correct. Right. So. Probably delicious. It's, it's just, got, that's just prawns in tomato. What's wrong with that? Well, Nothing. it's got, it's got lots of fennel in it. Anyway, but Ugh, it's, it's slow them. cooked. So like it's cooked for a long time, which mm. is weird for a prawn, right? Yeah. So I'm going, mm-hmm, 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 mm. It's got, you know, perno in it and um, fennel and lots and lots of minced up prawn. Anyway, so I'll oh, give it like. It. Mince the prawn. Yeah, so oh. it's like mint. It's like it's like mince meat, right. but it's prawn. Mm. Anyway, so I'm thinking, yeah, I don't know about that yotam. Might be a swing and a miss. But um, I had some of the one that Clive made. Absolutely, unbelievably delicious. Mm. Yeah. Um, okay, so right back at you. You got a direct message from Marina Pro- Marina Hyde. I know I said Marina Pryor. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a different exchange, possibly. <laughs> She really wanted to talk to you about starring in Phantom of the Opera in the 90s. You know. And you really bonded over it because you love the Phantom. <laughs> you idiot. Um, I did. And look, you know, you had a long and lavish conversation with Yotam, so mm-hmm. I, I realise that this is, you know, quite a slightly smaller rat that I'm bringing to the, you know, doormat yeah. dog style. Yeah. Uh, more of a cat thing probably. Um but yes, now as you know, I'm a long time just goddess worshipper of Marina Hyde. Yes, I don't she's know of one any of other favorites, political say. columnist that can just make me shriek. She's an she's an outrage waiting to happen. If you don't already read her um, columns for the Guardian, you just got to get onto it immediately. And if you haven't ever, then I just envy you because you've just got. So much back reading to do. I think she's anyway, at the height of her powers at the oh, moment, isn't she? She, she has is, been on fire for the past two years. I, I know. And the thing is, um, because I don't know, in case anyone's missed it, the UK has been kind of a mess. Um, <laughs> and she just seems to find new reserves of ability, material, outrage uh, on a daily basis. It's just completely bizarre she so did, is did you machine. send her a fan email how did you well, strike up look, this friendship the thing is um i read about you know boris johnson appointing tony abbott to be a trade envoy 
And I just thought, so much about Tony Abbott would really appeal to Marina. I just thought, like, last week she wrote in a column, she was, you know, sympathising with Boris Johnson. Um, sympathising? Well, no, she oh. was she was not sympathising at all. Um, she was quoting colleagues of him, his who say that, you know, he, he works incredibly hard and she's lightly deriding the uh, fact that this for many years um, included him being a m- member of parliament and a columnist. And as she says, now no one appreciates more than I do um, the trials and tribulations of um, having to <laughs> spend a few back-breaking hours down the whimsy mine, <laughs> 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 which um, I thought was adorable. Um, but it's just interesting to me that Boris Johnson has now picked another sort of former journalist failed prime minister and man of, I'm sorry, indeterminate uh, progeny count for much of his uh, career. <laughs> I just thought I'd just make sure that Marina was just across some of the detail that is the rich life story of our former prime minister. So I just sent her a couple of links and just went, you know, you're going to love this guy. And what did she say? She just, look, it really wasn't that big a deal. She wrote back saying, uh, Don't even so contact much. me again. She- <laughs> Who are you? And get out of my DMs. <laughs> Do you know, I've, I've told you my most humiliating story of like contacting somebody arch famous, haven't I? No. When I lived in London, I used to live around the corner from Giles Corrin. Yeah. And look, Giles Corrin is a, a man whose writing I admire. He's also the author of those incredibly rude emails to sub-editors with which I horrify myself every now and again. They're just um, amazing to read. Is he dead now? No, mate. No. He's not even on his third wife. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, and he's also the author of various sort of savage restaurant reviews that you read with a sort of pleasurable chill thinking, I could never write anything this mean, but it's sort of quite bracing to read someone else being that articulately cruel. Um, You sort of feel bad about loving it, but then you love it anyway. Um, Anyway. I lived on the cross street from him. I lived at 47-something road and he lived at 47, the cross road. So I used to get his mail. Right. And I would just sort of um, pop it on his doorstep and run away cackling. But when we moved out. I would just open his front door and tiptoe up and leave it on his pillow. (laughs) Just exactly. You look so beautiful when you sleep, Charles. Anyway, when we moved out, I had this fantastic pair of red shoes that were a bit worn down and they were really good shoes and I left them on Giles Corrin's doorstep. I don't know why. I thought it was sort of mysterious. I thought it was mysterious and then I thought I'll watch his columns to see if he's mentioned receiving a freaky (laughs) pair of red shoes. I know as as I... As I uh, tell the story out loud now, it it really does sound a bit creepier and weirder. Like I didn't, there was no note or anything threatening or anything like that. You didn't have, not a pair of undies tucked into them? No, right? no love, no, no, okay. just smelly um, old shoes. Okay. Um, uh, right. So um, anyway, years and years and years and years and years later. Oh God, please don't tell me you bumped into him and you he told was, him. <laughs> he was writing. I, just, I can't even look at you now. I know. Yeah. Uh, So years and years later, he was writing a column in the London Olympics, I think. They made him cover the rhythmic gymnastics. And it was very funny because he knows nothing about gymnastics. But I loved that, 
you know, I love it when you put people in charge who are great writers in charge of covering things that you're, you're covering your face. I, just I, I so just, I'm so right now. concerned where this is going. Yeah. Anyway, so, and it was published in the Australian too. And the weird thing is that it, because of the time difference, the column would be published in the Australian before it had actually gone online for right. the Times, which is the organ for which he writes. Anyway, so I tweeted uh, one night when his column went up on the Australian, oh, my God, fantastic. This is the, this is the thing about the Olympics that I'm loving the most, Giles Corrin covering, covering the gymnastics. And he at replied me saying, oh, wow, that's amazing. It's not even up yet here. And then I thought, there's my opening. Wing a ding ding. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I'm now having a conversation with um, uh Charles Corrin, and then so we had a couple of back and forths, and then I just said, "Oh, so anyway, I used to live oh, the God. corner from you, and I left these around." Oh, but yeah, God. and then <laughs> and he's responded with, "Wow, just wow," <laughs> and that was it. Oh my God, oh, that is just my God. Yeah, it is. It's yeah, it's. <clears throat> Pretty. Wow, yeah. You're not really who I thought you were, actually. I know. I'm I, questioning um, that myself. I don't. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I was young, foolish. I don't know. God. While we're on the British newspaper columnists of note, I just right. finished a book that I absolutely loved. It's Catelyn Moran's oh. new book, More Than a Woman. Right. Mm. Um. Oh man, it was good. It was. It was funny, like as you expect. Yeah. It was really funny, really clever. Also made me cry. Um, and I both loved it, but I also felt sort of depressed because it, it was so good and her, her wit was so sparkling and her insights were so original. I just felt like, no, I'm a shit What's writer and I'm not very smart. It's not about you though, is it really? No, but that's it. That's how it made me feel mm-hmm. a little bit. But, um, it's, it's basically about, so it's sort of the companion piece to what was the first book called? Um, how to be a woman. More anthology. Oh, the one before this, oh, yes, right. How yeah. to Be a Woman. Yes. So it's sort of the companion piece to that, I guess, just a decade on. Uh, and so it's it's sort of about what it's like to be a middle-aged woman and a mother of teenage daughters and just reflecting on women and work and, you know, all sorts of friendship and all sorts of different things. And uh, it's just fantastic. And it put into words some things that I've thought that I didn't really feel like I knew how to express, and she's expressed them really well. So I highly recommend it. The title, More Than a Woman, refers to the fact that you hit this point in your life where you have to basically, to function, be more than one woman because you have to be trying to do your job and care for your parents and care for your children and be a partner and all of the different things that you're trying to do which just drive you completely mad and grind you down to a nub. Um, Uh Are you okay? (laughs) (laughs) And so she goes into all of that. Anyway, it's Really, really good. Oh, I ca- I cannot wait to read that. I love her. Highly recommend it. Probably my favourite nonfiction book of the year so far. <gasps> okay, wow, I've bam. Done that much reading. And um, you also now know that her name's pronounced Catelyn. You um enlightened me about that the other day. I thought it was Caitlin. Well, of Scots. course, because that's what you'd think. But no, yeah. it's pronounced Catelyn, which okay. apparently is an act of teenage cussedness on her part. Like she's oh. just like. Screw you, everybody. It's pronounced Catelyn. Oh. And everyone's just like, oh, okay, <laughs> Whatever you like. That <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> no, was good. It's like saying, Annabelle, that's pronounced Bruce Lee. <laughs> He's, he started going around named as Brock. You can call me Brock. Brock Lee. <laughs> <laughs> Brock Lee. 
broccoli. <laughs> That's a great vegetable. There you go. Nice char-grilled, actually. That is true. Very true. Uh, a broccoli that's been char-grilled is a, just a splendid vegetable. I think that the broccoli is my favourite vegetable. If I had to narrow it down to one vegetable, mm. that's what it would be. Mm. Jeremy also makes a very good raw broccoli salad. Oh, I think I've eaten that. Yeah. sounds foul. Like, so you cut it up into quite small florets and then it's got <clears> a dressing of lemon juice, yoghurt, um, oh, very finely sliced uh, red onion currants. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> mm. <laughs> On paper, this sounds sort of disturbing. And, but... um, and toasted slivered almonds. Mm. And far out, man. It is a really good salad. So the lemon juice kind of slightly wilts and cooks the broccoli oh, a little yeah. bit. Right. But it's just, oh, my God, it's outstanding. One of my favourite recipes out of community is a char-grilled broccoli with some, um, I think it's got like some mushed up chickpea hummus sort of thing as mm. the base. If I'm thinking oh, the yeah, no. And I it's got mint and some um, slivered toasted almonds, some lemon. Sim- sounds sort of chilly. Sounds, sounds sort of similar to what you're talking about. Hey, That's she's got a new book out too, Has FYI. She? Yeah. Mm. I, um, I haven't. Hetty McKinnon? I, yes, Hetty McKinnon. Um, I'm just looking. I saw bits of it on Instagram and she's been having all of these recipes in the New York Times. Okay. So let me think. So the first book was called Community. The second group was called Neighbourhood. No, I reckon. No. Oh, and then Family. Family. So, so it's wouldn't it have to be something like Village? No, keep guessing. Um, You'll never get it because it is, is. Is it not in that theme? It is not in that theme. Oh, okay. Well. Girlfriend. It's called To Asia With Love. <laughs> Wow, that came out of nowhere. But, look, if you don't follow her on Instagram, if you do use Instagram, I would just bloody hot foot it to her account because it is just, oh, my God, so many things that I um, oh, just want to eat. So her first recipe that she um, published with New York Times Cooking, NYT, at NYT Cooking, is called Sook Me Fan, Sook Me Fan, classic no, Cajunese. I knew, oh, you are just. Um, <laughs> she says it's a classic Cantonese homestyle dish, otherwise known as creamed corn with rice. So it's like Ooh. rice with sliced silken tofu and um, a, what looks like just a fabulous sort of slurry of corn and spring onion. And oh my God, that's right up my alley. You're kind of knitting just your brow. Creamed corn, I just feel like yuck. Um, but more relevantly, the other thing she says in this post, um, talking about this recipe, is how proud she is to see a Cantonese dish being published with its Cantonese name in man- mainstream media. And I thought that is awesome. And I think one thing that sometimes happens or has happened in the past with Asian cuisine is that, you know, like it gets kept aside from either mainstream cooking and how it's sort of celebrated in magazines. It's sort of left to be um, part of a special or a, you know, special excerpt, a special series or whatever. And I was really interested in the most recent series of MasterChef, given the like strong representation of um, cooks with Asian backgrounds there, how um, Asian dishes really moved out of, oh, here's a here's a family cooking dish that I've made that reminds me of my mum too, 
this is sort of fine dining um, that is an open field contender in that competition. And um, one of the reasons I really like platter, uh, Chattenham, (laughs) platinum chatter Kate Pritchett is, and she wrote an angry post actually when Jock, one of the MasterChef um, judges, said, well, you know, Asian cuisine, it's not really fine dining though, is it? She had a spectacular Pritchett rant about that and I could not have agreed with her more. She does a lot um, to... um, uh, teach me about Korean ingredients in particular just because of her kind of obsessive interest in them. Anyway, um, I really mm. am blabbering on today, aren't I? I really am. There's a good episode of uh, Chef's Table. Um, I forget the guy's name, but he's an Indian uh, chef who, oh, his name starts with G. He set up an Indian restaurant. Oh, Gagan Anand. Yeah. yeah. He set up a uh, restaurant in Thailand that yeah. got one like best restaurant in Asia. Yeah. And it was in response to people saying, oh, we're Indian. It's just like comfort food. It's not fine dining. And he right. was like, sorry, it's, you know. And so he sort of tried really hard to establish it as, and I mean, it looked insanely good. Yeah. So he sort of had these dishes that would have a nod to like butter chicken or something, but, um, and have the flavors, but presented in a really fine dining kind of way. It was yeah. interesting. I'm surprised that you don't think that Asian cooking is mainstream. I feel like it's so front and center all the time, everywhere. Um, yeah, in a fusion sort of a way, I think. But look how ubiquitous Thai food and Chinese food is and Vietnamese food, even as just oh, yeah, takeaway yeah. in food courts and stuff. Yeah. It's so, so central. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. I, um, I don't know what I'm saying, really. Um, Right, so I thought that by setting up more than a woman, I'd be giving you a lovely platform to I know talk you, about some of the. You, you did actually, and I just completely messed it up by talking about cream corn and various <laughs> half-formed ideas about. I'm sorry, it's just Friday. It's been a long week. Um, yeah, uh, I have been reading and really enjoying Julia Gillard's book, um, which she's written with Ngozi Okonjo. Iwela, I'm not sure if that's the exact way the dismount of that name works. Um, apologies if not. Um, she used to be the finance minister of Nigeria and kind of met Julia Gillard sort of around the Diplo tracks and they have written this book together called Women in Leadership. Now, it's got a kind of like pretty straight, boring-sounding <laughs> title um, and so I sort of assumed it would be, you know, a relatively academic book about, you know, principles of leadership or something. It is. It's like sitting in the ladies' toilets at the UN Security Council. It's awesome. (laughs) Like it's really, it's a funny, interesting book where they've just basically set out and interviewed a whole bunch of um, female world leaders. I guess they kind of together have a pretty decent access to their ranks. Former leaders or people currently in power? Oh, both. Um, So they've interviewed um, Ellen Johnson Sirleaf. Uh, They've interviewed um, Hillary Clinton, Jacinda Ardern, um, Christine Lagarde, um, Michelle Bachelet, you know, heaps of past or present women leaders that you've definitely heard of. And they basically just share stories along similar themes, you know, like, um, well, what decisions did they have to make when they went into politics? Um, how has their personal circumstance been construed and reported, you know, childless or mother? Um, how caught up their constituencies and relative medias have been on their appearance or shoes or whatever? Anyway, it, they just 
they tell a few cracking yarns and it's a really interesting book that also features, I think, Julia Gillard being more directly reflective on this sort of gender issue. And she also talks about how when she first became Prime Minister, she actively tried to minimise the gender issue because she said that she knew that people were dealing already with the change from Kevin Rudd to her and that it was she was the first female Prime Minister. She was trying to kind of handhold people a little bit, not make a big deal about the some of the gender-based criticism and attacks on her because she was just like, let's just keep it all calm and pleasant and I don't want to, you know, come across as, well, I'm paraphrasing here, um, as some sort of, you know, supercharged feminist carrying on about, you know, gender. And to some extent, I reckon it m- makes the misogyny speech um, really clear that it was kind of like a just a pent-up howl from everything she'd been kind of holding up in up to that date. Anyway, um, it's a terrific book. I'm really enjoying it. I don't know the answer to this off the top of my head, but did her government um, have any particularly strong policies around equality for women or um, improving things for disadvantaged women in Australia? Well, um, paid parental leave, uh, which was a bit of a first. Um, They uh, increased the pay rates for kind of community workers, most of whom are um, women. Um, They did something really interesting um, with the, what used to be the Affirmative Action Agency and now is the uh, workplace gender equality agency. They made it mandatory for private companies to report their gender stats, which, God, I mean, I, I didn't even remember them doing that. I remember them sort of setting up the WGEA. But one of the fascinating legacies of that is that Australia now has essentially six or seven years of standardised, consistent gender reporting on numbers of women in leadership teams, on boards or whatever, across the entire private sector, the um, provision of the information is mandatory. I mean, like, if a company didn't provide it, they wouldn't go to jail or anything. Like, it's it's not super toothy. But they have about a 95% um, uh, success rate in the figures that they get. And so Australia is now the only country in the world that collects quality data, you know, of that depth and breadth. And there was a really interesting study done recently by the Curtin Bankwest Centre looking at whether it changes the profitability of companies when they put more women on their executive teams. And there is a direct correlation like that putting um, a woman in the chief executive position basically leads to about a 5% uptick in profitability, like, mm. which is what they've been able to judge from those those figures. And people have often argued and theorised that diverse groups make better decisions and make more profitable companies, but this is the first time it's been absolutely conclusively demonstrated. Anyway, I, once again, I'm rambling, but um, that is something that has been really interesting and valuable from that period of politics, I think. Um, I am reading at the moment... Uh, Kate Grenville's new novel, A Woman, oh. uh, sorry, A Room Made of Leaves. Okay. Now, I've had this recommended to the, to me by a range of people. I haven't read it yet. Look, I really like Kate Grenville's writing, so, um, you know, I'm coming to it as a fan. Uh, it's about Elizabeth MacArthur. Uh, oh, right. So what she's done is she's 
gone back and looked at some of Elizabeth MacArthur's papers and letters and things from mm-hmm. the time, Elizabeth MacArthur being the wife of General John MacArthur, um, and she's invented, I guess, a sort of backstory in a life, or, uh, not dissimilar, I guess, to that what Curtis Sittenfeld has done with Laura right. Bush and Hillary yeah. Clinton, which is to take real details of a, of a historical figure's life yeah. and then embellish and fill in and imagine what you think they might have been thinking or doing or so forth. Um, it's great. I'm just up to the bit where they've they've been on the ship out to Australia and they've just arrived in New South Wales. But it's just it's I'm not a, a great lover of I wouldn't say historical fiction is one of my favourite um you know, things to read. And so I started it and I was thinking, oh, I don't know if I'm going to love this or not, but now I've really got into it. It's great. Oh, right. Okay. Well, I, I'm definitely going to read that. Um, it's uh, it's it's on my list and I'll elevate it. Um, th- this reminds me, discussion of um, uh, that period of Australian history reminds me to remind you yes. that our new season um, of Back in Time for Dinner starts on Tuesday. Tuesday um, the date because uh, the first of September, right? Um, and it's such a good series. Like now, I can say that because it's not really me that makes it a good series. <laughs> it's um, the same family that we had on the first fit series, the Ferones, and we. It's called Further Back in Time for Dinner because we make them go back to nineteen hundred. Oh, so yeah, cue like corsets and. Yeah, I can only no imagine Carol Perrone's life must oh, be living hell. <laughs> Carol was really up for it, but like Sienna, oh man, you could see in her eyes she's like, okay, so I oh right, I've got to wear. Oh, okay, so, <laughs> no electricity, okay, and oh, no toilet paper, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> These details were broken to her quite gently, but you can enjoy them as you see her poor dear face crumbling as she realizes these privations that are going to be visited on her, but. I really hope particularly that people in um, Melbourne will kind of enjoy it because it really is the most time-appropriate series I can imagine. It starts in the 1900s and they are living in this regional area outside Sydney because they've fled Sydney because it was there was an outbreak of the plague in oh, 1900, right. which I just did not know actually before. Wow. Um, yeah. About 500 people died in 1900 across Australia from the plague. So does it start, is it like the other series where it starts in 1900 and then it's 1910, 1920? Correct, right. yeah. Okay. So Great. it's an amazing like um, little period of history to live through. Um, but at every step too we, we go through, you know, what that family would be doing and then um, look at the world events and sort of geopolitical events, economic events, and look at the way history records, you know, an average family in Australia experiencing this event. And then we have a look at how Indigenous Australia experienced the same event. So, for instance, in 1902, you know, all these women jumping around going, wow, amazing, we've got the Franchise Act, women have got the vote. The same piece of legislation actually removed all Indigenous Australians' right to vote. Oh, they, wow. They had the right to vote in um, various of the colonies, but when it came to the Franchise Act, which was, you know, has long been celebrated for fairly early on in world terms, um, uh, giving women the franchise, just often overlooked that not only did Aboriginal women lose the vote in that legislation, but so did Aboriginal men, and they didn't get it back for 60 years. Oh, it is, God. It is absolutely horrifying. Anyway. Talking about women's lives in a certain period reminds me of... Um something I want to talk about, which a lot of people have been talking about, which is Dirty John Season 2, but I'm going to save it for our next episode. <gasps> wow, what a yes. tease, baby. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we better move on. Yep. Okay. All right, catch you later. Cheers.